and welcome to this edition of Pragmatic Live. I'm Rebecca Galagiris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Marketing. Today, I'm joined by Greg Alexander, founder of Sales Benchmark Index, a sales and marketing consultancy firm focused on helping B2B companies make their number. Hi, Greg, and thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. How are you today? Excellent, excellent. So, Greg, you did a webinar with us on how to align sales and product teams strategically in order to elevate the performance of both. Uh, It was a great webinar, and you can find a link to it in the description below. It was so popular, though, that we actually had more questions than we had time to answer during the show. And so you are back with us today to help us tackle those outstanding questions. I am ready to go, so I'm glad there are a lot of questions. It looks like I didn't bore everybody to death, so hopefully I can answer the questions. Excellent. All right. So in the webinar, you talked about the five-step sales strategy methodology that covered planning, engagement, organizational design, execution, and support. Meng asked, what part of the five-step sales process demands active participation regularly from product teams in your mind? Yeah, so the five-step sales strategy methodology, just from a definition perspective, is not the sales process, okay? Sales process is one of the steps within the steps, so to speak. So I just wanted to be clear on that. Um, Sales process, or some people call it sales methodology, is in the step two, the engagement section. And there's two phases there, prospecting and uh, sales methodology. But as I, as I think I understand the question, which is what parts of the five-step um, sales strategy method should active participation come from the product team, um, I'm going to go through each five-step real briefly, and I'll, I'll kind of tell you intensity levels, maybe low, moderate, to high. Okay, so step one, planning, which is defining the plan for how you're going to achieve your revenue goal, and then data planning. So on that one, I would say involvement from the product team, from an intensity perspective, should be high. Um, you want it, The product team wants to make sure that the sales team are selling the products that the product team wants to be sold or the solutions that want to be sold. And in particular, we're pursuing the right business, not all the business. Hmm. So the right target customers, the right markets, et cetera. Okay. The second step of the five-step process is engagement, and there's two steps there. There's prospecting and sales process. I would say this one from a product intensity perspective is also high, and here's why. The people in product management built the product. They understand what problem the product is solving. They understand who's having that problem. Uh, They understand the intensity of the pain of the problem and what the alternative problem-solving options are you know, i.e. the the competitor's product offerings. That content needs to get dropped into the sales process. If the sales process is just generic, you know, it talks about things about, you know, how to ask the customer questions about this, that, and the other thing, and and it's a generic step-by-step sales process, it's not going to be very effective. A sales process, which is in the second step of the five-step sales strategy method, has to do three things very well. The first is it has to increase win rates. The sales process is effective or not effective based on its impact on win rate. And the product team there can be extremely helpful because the better a sales team can explain the product, the better the win rate will be. Number two, 
sales process must grow the average deal size. So most companies, especially in the technology industry, aren't single product companies, they're multi-product companies, and they bundle them together into a solution. And a sales team's ability to sell the bundle, the solution, impacts the average sales price versus selling point solutions. So the product team's involvement there should be really intense and make sure that they can explain to the sales team why the bundle is worth more than the individual products. And then the last thing that a uh, sales process should do for an organization, which is a step in engagement, is shorten the sales cycle. And what impacts the sales cycle is that you're talking to the right customers or prospects. Sales cycles get really long when you're pitching certain products to the wrong buyers. And there I think the product team's involved, but maybe not so intensely. They just need to make sure that the sales team and the marketing team understands who the products are intended for. So that's a, uh, an explanation on step two. Step three is organization, which talks about the organizational design, channel optimization, the talent program, territory design, quota setting, and compensation. And I would say the product team's involvement here is also high from an intensity perspective. They should be having a conversation as to how the sales team is organized. For example, should there be product overlays? Should there be product specialists? Yes or no and why? Channel optimization, which products should be sold through which channels to which customers? And I think the product team's involvement there should be very high. I think sometimes the sales team doesn't think through that enough. They think they can sell all products to all people, and that's not true. As it relates to the talent program, identifying what the definition of an A-player sales rep is, if I was in the product team, I would want to make sure that the hiring profile tested for competencies that line up with what I'm trying to sell. So I think the product team should be really involved there. As it relates to territory design, this is a critical one for the product team. They want to help the sales team design territories in such a way that the sales resources have territories filled with accounts that have buyers in them who we're targeting with this set of products. That's a big one. And you can control the output of the entire sales organization just by focusing on that. Quota setting, maybe not so much. I mean, if you have some financial project projections as to what you want your product to produce, if you could translate those financial projections at the product line level down to individual sales quotas, I think that would be effective. And then compensation planning, I would be very involved in that if I was a product team. I would want to make sure that I was successfully competing for mindshare with the sales team. The sales team is going to sell products that are going to make them money. And if your products aren't prioritized and you don't signal to them that they are prioritized because they're, they're discussed in the compensation plan, they're going to get ignored. Step four of the five-step sales process is execution, and that's sales enablement and forecast and pipeline management. Um, here I would say the product team's involvement is moderate. I wouldn't say it's high, I wouldn't say it's low, I'd say it's moderate. And really, their job there is to make sure that the sales enablement program has the content that they need so that the sales team has, you know, the proper training and the proper content they need to sell the product. And then lastly, step five of the five-step sales strategy methodology is support, and that has sales operations, sales support, and systems. And I think you don't need to be involved in this. I'm not sure the product team has a lot of – would benefit greatly from um, – you know, getting into the nuts and bolts of uh, legal contracts and CRM systems and things of that nature. So hopefully that answers the question. 
No, I think that was a great answer. And, and clearly there are lots of touch points and integrations between the two departments. Yep. And I think we'll see those fleshed out even more in some of the follow-up questions that delved into to some of the specifics. So Eduardo asked, Greg, I totally understand the importance of product and sales alignment, but what does that mean for opportunities that sales brings in that aren't aligned with the overall strategy? Should they yeah. be free to close any and all opportunities if it means hitting their numbers? So the sales team's job is to sell what the company has brought to market. You know, if you think about how this happens, you know, the CEO sets a strategy for the company, which dictates what markets they're going to be in, who they're going to compete with, and with what products and solutions. And therefore, he then dedicates a development budget, an R&D budget, to go build those things. If the sales team is selling anything and not those things, and the sales team is irresponsible, they're wasting the company's money, and they're not team players. And they should not be allowed to chase all business. They need to be aligned with what the product team wants them to sell. So Johnny asks another question. Uh, I know why the product team needs me. They need me to sell their stuff. But what do I really need them for? What is in it for me? <laughs> so Johnny is our prototypical salesperson. And, Johnny, if you're listening, you need to evolve. You're, you're acting as if it's 1982. If your product <laughs> team does not bring out, bring out highly differentiated products that solve urgent problems that prospects are willing to pay to fix, that are pervasive, you, know, you should brush up on your training from pragmatic marketing. That's their big thing. Then... Your emails aren't getting returned, your phone calls aren't getting returned, and you're not getting FaceTime with your customers. You're running around with a bag full of products that nobody wants to buy. So the key to your success is that your product team is so good that the phone rings. You don't have a problem getting in front of prospects. Prospects can't meet with you because they want what you have. What you have is in demand. That's why you need them. And let me tell you something, Johnny. You need them more than they need you. So it would be a surprise to hear from some people in our product audience to have that as a sales perspective, but it will be a happy thing for them to hear. <laughs> I know a lot of great salespeople are missing their numbers because their products are terrible. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I know some below-average salespeople that look really good on paper. They're ahead of quota because the products are so good. So, I mean, it has a huge impact on sales performance. I always say that it's not true that a great product will sell itself but there's nothing I can do in marketing or my friends can do in sales if the product's that bad. Like exactly. It's going to catch up to us. Yeah? Yeah. All right. So Monica asks, what is the best way to introduce buyer personas and sales playbooks into an established seasoned sales force that thinks they already know what they need to know? Yeah. So we run into this one all the time, and let me give you a real tactical thing to do. Um, do some mystery shopping. So what is a mystery shop? So this is a consumer tactic that's been ported in successfully into B2B. And as a blatant commercial plug, we do this for our clients. So if you want to hire somebody to do this, you can hire us. But there's a lot of firms out there that do this well. <clears throat> and what you should do is whoever you hire to go do this mystery shopping, teach them how to be a credible prospect, okay, and have them do things like stand, stand up dummy websites, stand up LinkedIn profiles, and put an RFP on the street and have that RFP go to your sales team and have your sales team come in and give the pitch. Have that RFP go to your competitors and have them come in and give the pitch as well. And whoever that vendor is that you hire can document the effectiveness of the sales team's approach against the buyer persona objectives and the buyer journey map. Any high-quality 
buyer persona is going to have a few things on it. It's going to say, these are my goals as the buyer. These are the obstacles standing in the way of me accomplishing these goals. Here's how I'm measured, so on and so on. And then the, the buyer journey map is going to lay out how I make a decision. So how I first become aware of a problem, how I build a short list of potential vendors, how I educate myself before I meet them, when I do meet them, what am I looking for in terms of decision criteria, how do I come up with a final recommendation, et cetera, et cetera. And this is the way that the buyer behaves. And if you do a mystery shop and you have this well-established sales team that thinks they have all the answers, come in. Here's what I would tell you. If they sell exactly the way you want to buy, per your buyer persona and buyer's journeys map, then they're right and you're wrong. They actually do know everything. If they're significantly off message and they're not addressing the things on the persona and the buying journey map, then you're right and they're wrong. And here's the thing that really catches their attention. When you show their performance relative to the competitors, and you can say, I met with competitor XYZ, their sales team was Joe, Mary, and Mike. They presented me for three hours on July 13th, and here's what happened. And they can see that they're getting outsold by the bad guys. Then that catches their attention, and they'll pay attention to your buyer personas and your buyer journey maps. What's nice about that suggestion, Greg, is, is whether, regardless of who is right or wrong, you're going to learn a lot, right? Exactly. Even if they know stuff, you're going to get great information about competitors. You're going to have a great improvement and pieces like that to work off of. All right, switching gears a little bit, David asked, Greg, you said that the sales team needs to be the right size to sell the product. How do you determine what that size is? Yeah, we like to do a bottoms-up workload capacity model. Okay, so let me try to explain this in simple terms that it's appropriate for a podcast. Here's some assumptions. A salesperson is going to work 50 weeks a year. They're going to work 40 hours a week, so they have 2,000 hours of available selling time. If they're working for a company who's optimized a sales force, then they realize that about 1,500 of those hours are actually customer sales time, or 75%, and 500 of those hours are spent on things like training, administrative duties, travel, stuff like that. Okay? So if you work backwards from 1,500 hours and you say, okay, how long does it take me to sell product a product? Let's call it product A. How long does it take me to sell that? How long does it take me to get my first meeting? How many meetings do I have to have along the way? Um, how long does it take me to close the deal? I can figure out the labor intensity expressed in number of hours. So let's just say that, it, that your sales campaign is six months. And let's say during that uh, six-month sales campaign, you have two meetings a month. Let's just hypothetically say that. That's a total of 12 meetings. Let's say each meeting was an hour in length and there's a couple of hours of prep before the meeting and a couple of hours of follow-up after the meeting. So per meeting, you've got about five hours. Five hours times 12 meetings, and you get to 60 hours really quickly. Okay? You divide your 60 hours into your 1,500 hours, and you can figure out how much time you're consuming, how long it takes you to sell a product, and you can start doing do some math on that. The other thing that's really cool about this is that you can compare product A to product B to product C. Is product A easier to sell than product B? Well, how do I know? Well, is my sales cycle shorter? Instead of six months, is it three months? Instead of 12 calls, is it six calls? Instead of two hours of prep, is it one hour of prep? So on and so on. There's a whole science on sizing the sales force. I would direct uh, this person to our website. 
There's uh, mathematical models. Some are easy, some are sophisticated. Uh, some take into account geographic dispersion. Some are more appropriate for sales over the phone or over the web. Um, it's pretty complicated stuff, but there's proven mathematical models that have been around for a couple of decades that can answer that question for you. Great answer. All right, from Tim. One of the things I got from my pragmatic marketing training is the importance of the product team serving as the voice of the market. And yet, we all know that sales talks to the market, or at least some portion of it, all the time. So what role do you see sales playing with market research? I think sales can play a huge role. Um, you know, the product management team, in terms of number of heads, is typically quite a bit smaller than the number of heads in the sales force. I mean, if you have a sales force that's 100 people strong, and let's say they're visiting with five customers a week, you're having 500 customer touch points per week, okay? This is the reason why you need um, a well-defined customer-centric buying process that has been um, translated into a sales process and that has been completely built custom up to reflect your company, your industry, your products, and your competitors. Because if you have a standard way of doing this, all of your sales reps across those 500 calls per week are going to use something called a call plan as an example. And there will be a call objective of that plan. There will be a set of questions that they, that they ask. And then coming out of that call, they fill out their call plan. These days this is done on things like iPads, and that gets entered into their CRM system. So now the product management team, if the systems are configured correctly, and the sales team is using something like a standardized sales methodology custom built to reflect the buying process, every week you can go into all of these call plans and through a sampling technique. Now, you probably don't want to read 500 call plans, but maybe you take 10% of the population every week, and you can look at the outputs of 50 sales calls a week. It's a fantastic way for a product management team to stay connected to customers without actually having to be in front of the customer. Now, obviously, you want to be in front of the customer, but there's no way that you can make that many sales calls. So by doing something like that, you have a time and cost-effective way to dramatically ramp up the amount of customer feed feedback that you get. Just a great way for the product team to, to supplement their in-person interviews. Yes. All right. So Christina asks, Greg, things move so quickly today. Change happens fast, and companies need to stay agile. How can product teams ensure that sales teams are kept up to speed? <laughs> it's a great one. So if you're an agile shop, which it sounds like you are on the product side, then you need to, you need to be an agile shop on the sales side. And the, the disciplines of agile, things like getting to a prototype quickly, rapidly iterating off of that prototype quickly, apply to sales just like they do in product. There's a lot of ways that it applies. Um, let me build on the previous example I just gave you, which is using a standardized sales methodology to collect customer feedback. That standard sales methodology isn't something that you develop once, pour concrete on it, and don't look at it again for three years. An effective sales operations team or sales enablement team is constantly tweaking the sales methodology to rapidly iterate it based on its effectiveness. So if, you know, if back to these 100 salespeople, you know, the sales enablement team should be speaking with those salespeople on a regular basis, if not daily, 
in, in something like a daily huddle, you know, and if the sales team are all struggling with, I don't know, step two of the sales process, whatever it is, then it needs to be fixed, and they need to be iterating it. And the sales enablement team should be a problem-solving team. So this is the problem that's standing in the way of our salespeople being successful. These things are contributing to poor win rates or long sales cycles or small deals, and they should be updating the sales methodology and updating the job aids to keep it agile. It's a great question. Uh, I can understand why it's being asked. There's a lot of sales organizations that uh, that don't move quickly, and they need to pick up their clock speed for sure. And I think that problem is is sometimes exasperated the more indirect sales channels you have, right? The further away, the even harder it is to keep them up to date. That's true. Um, the same concept applies, but it's it's done through channel management instead of sales management. All right. So Mark asks, uh, what role do you see product playing in terms of setting revenue goals and in terms of accountability uh, with whether or not those goals are hit? I think uh, the product team plays a huge role in setting revenue goals. Um, I would imagine that the way it works in your company is the CEO has a corporate strategy that says these are the financial objectives for our company this year, next year, and the year after. That gets to the product team, and the product team says, okay, so based on that, um, you know, here's how much of that of those financial objectives are going to be met with what we currently have, you know, kind of the current portfolio. This is what we need to develop uh, in order to uh, accomplish the growth objectives, and, and these new products need to be added to the portfolio in this time period in order for that to be successful. So all business planning, if you will, within the product management process involves financial forecasting. So then that financial forecast, both from the CEO and from the product team, needs to cascade to not only the sales team but also the marketing team. And, for example, the marketing team should take its budget, its program budget, and make sure that it lines up with those financial objections. They shouldn't be spending a lot of marketing money on products that have low growth characteristics. They should be spending a lot of marketing money you know, ahead of a product launch, as an example. That's an example of marketing alignment. And as it relates to sales, same same thing. So if I have a, back to my uh, mythical 100-person sales force, if I have 100 salespeople and, you know, I don't know, 25% of them can sell the new widget, I've got a problem. And how do I fix that? Well, I communicate directly with the head of sales. Hey, last year you had a $100 million quota. This year you have a $115 million quota. And the sales leader says, well, where am I supposed to get the extra $15 million? Well, here are the products that are coming out this year. Your sales team needs to drive these into the market, and this is the revenue that we're expecting. It gets really interesting in that conversation, and I can tell you I, I often play referee between the product leader and the sales leader in my client engagements with our consulting firm. And what the sales leader says, okay, product leaders, you know, I'm going to accept that goal. You better not miss the date. Because, you know, it's one thing for me to hit the revenue objective if the product comes out in March, and it's another thing if the product comes out in November. So you, you, the date's got to get hit. That, that's a very common response. And then the product leader often says, hey, you know, I've signed my name next to the business case for this product, and I will hit the date, and, you know, you better not ignore me. You know, this thing better be launched correctly, and it better be driven into the market. So that's a great way to drive alignment between those two organizations. And, you know, when I'm describing that situation as a contentious conversation, it isn't. I'm uh, 
I'm trying to entertain the audience here. Sometimes it is. <laughs> but hopefully it isn't. And if you have two mature adults both pursuing the common goal, which is company success, then you can work through those things. Excellent. All right. This is great information, and I think our, our last question sums it up. So if listeners want to learn more about this topic and how to align the sales and product teams, what resources would you recommend? Any particular books or white papers? You know, I'm going to be uh, a classic salesperson here. I, I think the the two firms that are talking about this are Pragmatic Marketing and SBI. And I would encourage you to read everything that Pragmatic comes out. Uh, we do. We tell our clients about it because we think that if somebody is following the Pragmatic Marketing Framework, the marketing and sales teams are going to be more successful. So that would that would be the first resource that I would point you to. And then the second one is I would point you to SBI. In particular, uh, here's a few things that I would point you to. First, we give away our playbook. It's called How to Make Your Number in 2016. It's a 224-page uh, book, literally a playbook, that puts you through a series of exercises. And these exercises are done um, collectively between the product team and the sales team in a group, in a workshop. We often facilitate that workshop, but before you commit to a workshop with us, you should get the book, and you can get it at salesbenchmarkindex.com forward slash 2016-report. Get it, flip through it, flip through the entire thing, um, but pay particular attention to step three, product strategy, and step five, sales strategy. This book documents our six-step revenue growth methodology, which includes product and sales, but also market segmentation, corporate strategy, marketing strategy, and HR strategy. So I would encourage you to look through that, uh, sit down with your teams, go through some of the exercises on your own. If you think you need some help, uh, just fill out the contact us form, and we'll send somebody out to see you. And, Greg, I know you and your team have a myriad of resources on the topic, um, including a quarterly magazine. And so everyone, there's a, and we'll see the link to your subscription page in the notes below the podcast, and I would definitely encourage everyone to sign up. It is a great resource. Thank you, Greg, for your time today. This does it for this edition of Pragmatic Live. Until next time, remember, nothing important happens in the office. Get out and listen to your market today.